Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The motto that we have for the postnatal plan is deep rest for one month, deep support for 100 days, so the fourth trimester, and priority on sleep for one year. So they're the three main guiding principles. The fourth trimester. What is it? What does that even mean? We've done the hard yards with the pregnancy and the birth. Can't we just focus on the baby now? I had no idea what the golden months were. I went back to work part-time, four weeks postpartum with my son. It was a terrible mistake. I was depleted and unwell for months. I started having conversations about why taking care of the mother is so vital during this season of motherhood. How can we support her? I promised myself that I would do things differently if there was another baby. So this is it. Conversations with leading experts that cover every angle of the fourth trimester. The best bit is while you're listening... I'm giving birth and putting all of this into practice. It feels indulgent and excessive, but I think that's a problem with our society. We don't honour the mother enough, her healing, her experiences. So today, we start. Dr. Oscar Selerak is a leading expert in postnatal well-being. He treated me at my lowest point and is regarded as the one to go to when suffering postnatal depletion. Please note this is different to postnatal depression. Oscar has dedicated the last eight years to the identification and treatment of postnatal depletion. His best-selling book, The Postnatal Depletion Cure, is a must for first-time mums. Oscar Selerak, you, I would say, are the postnatal depletion guru. Would I be okay in calling you that? Uh, hi, Zoe. Um, well, I'm certainly the one who's uh, coined the term. And I'm very sort of uh, outspoken about uh, this idea of all the struggles that mothers are experiencing and then trying to actually put it into a medical framework. So uh, I definitely say that I'm a, a crusader for the cause, much like yourself. That's what we bloody need. We need a crusader. So thank you for doing that. I know you, you'd have to deal with a lot of very overwhelmed and grumpy women and men, I'm sure. We're focusing on the fourth trimester here, which is obviously where you shine and people can buy the book to to get the explicit detail on how and what you do and what we need to be doing. But I kind of want to rewind and work backwards and ways that you have seen through your research on what we can do to, I guess, boost ourselves and support ourselves before baby even gets here. Yeah, that's a great topic of conversation. And I think essentially when you're looking at the fourth trimester, I think it has to start with the acknowledgement of you know, the previous three trimesters in terms of their effect on you know, the mother's brain and her physiology and just on her um, emotional uh, well-being in a, in a sense of purpose and then moving into the fourth trimester with everything that we know about those first three trimesters is I think just honoring the process and just giving her as much support as possible to fully recover I and mean, I think a lot of people sort of see um the birth as the main event and then after birth you just kind of get on with your life totally uh, whereas you know i i don't see the birth as the finish line it's almost like the start starting (laughs) line to to parenthood you know the the pregnancy is like a a warm-up so to speak um and you know with i mean with a, a lot of the research i initially did what 
really stood out for me is just how much emphasis there was from uh, old cultures, ancient cultures, first cultures on the importance of mother care and very elaborate cultural tra traditions around making sure the mother was cared for, making sure the mother felt like royalty in the, that first while, making sure that she wasn't exposed to too much uh, stress or demands from her immediate sort of surroundings you know, for specific periods and then she was able to kind of reintegrate and I kind of realized those things were not there by accident and a lot of the descriptions I was seeing in uh, Ayurvedic medicine or Chinese medicine whilst using a very different language was very much explaining the the potential vulnerability that a mother experiences in those first uh, few months postpartum and and the thing that's been really encouraging for me is the amount of research that has, you know, my book was published in 2018, and the amount of research that has come out since then about the mother brain, around the need to uh, re-establish her stress response system uh, has exploded. And so this is a really great time to be talking more about the details as, as they're being uncovered and to really give weight to what we know is really important that uh, how important pregnancy recovery from pregnancy and then a mother you know moving forward in those you know that first two years with a small child that she's uh, feeling as confident as possible as uh, energetic as possible and feeling as supported as possible because i think most people listening may know that i did the opposite to everything that we're talking about. So I did the very westernized way of I'm a boss and I can do a baby and work two jobs and I don't need any downtime and I'm going to, you know, breastfeed exclusively, but I'm still going to have two jobs. And like all of this ridiculous pressure that was really celebrated that I could do it all, you know. And I think this is the issue between what you were talking about with other cultures and customs and rituals versus what we celebrate in Western culture and starting to change the conversation around. Um, could you talk to me about some, I mean, you've mentioned some of that with the demands and, and being treated like a queen. Like I'm totally down with all of that. Like just <laughs> laying in a bed and my feet being rubbed while I breastfeed is a good idea. What do you feel are the most precious tips from those cultures that we have to bring in? And then how do we do that with resources and funds the first part is that um, it's about changing the concept. And so a lot of these old cultures, they have special names for that fourth trimester or the mother in the fourth trimester. And so we don't even have a concept. You know, we have postpartum and postnatal and they sound kind of very uh, medical and not very... Mm. Um, and we were the same with, with our kids uh, initially, just this idea of sort of patriarchal feminism, which is... Um, uh, you know, the, the idea of feminism, but with a very, I ha have to be equal in a man's world. Yes. And, and, you know, it doesn't actually suit the men that well, and it suits women less yes. than it does the men. Sorry, I'm really glad that you brought that up because what it actually is, what it kind of mirrors to me is that we don't actually, we're not cherishing the woman or in this role at all in a Western culture. You know, we're rushing her, we're pressuring her, and there is no queendom. There is no um, honouring at all in the Western culture, and that seems like a, a slant to the patriarchy as well, right? Because it's just the only thing is C-section, vaginal, epidural, no drugs, back to work, a year off. You know, that's it. And, and it makes it look like a business proposition as opposed to a biological transformation. You know, part of alluding to what the question you're asking before is that we have to really honour the fact of the biological transformation. It's not just a business transaction of, uh, you know, I joke about this idea of Pinterest parenting, which is 
And I'm certainly was one of those uh, early on is just taking these ideas that you'd read from places and kind of doing a collage of um, the kind of parent I'm going to be. And I'm not going to be one of those parents who's stuck at home. Uh, you know, we're going to be out in the world and this isn't going to change our life. And you now that's a very uh, cognitive headspace kind of idea. We're based on no reality whatsoever. Um, and uh, anyone who spends time with mothers and children realize this is not a business transaction. Um, you know, there's a huge amount of emotion and a uh, huge amount of uh, recovery and uh, even the fact that your sleep gets so affected, that by itself should be a, a game changer in terms of how we're talking about it. If it was a business transaction, now, the average mother loses 700 hours of sleep in the first year. So if you were to tell the CEO of a corporation, <laughs> and you imagine the mother's like the CEO of the household. Um, if, you're going to tell, you know, if you were to tell a CEO of a corporation, listen, you're going to lose 700 hours of sleep in the next 12 months. You imagine that that corporation would respond appropriately with support, with um, uh, things in place to make sure that the corporation isn't going to fall down because their CEO is sleep deprived. Um, we, we don't even have a concept of thinking like this when it comes to uh, mothering in, in the West in the 21st century. And, and there's this kind of almost backwards badge of honor about how soon can you get back to work. This idea of the, the, the super mum, the perfect mum who can do it all with no help. You know, this is a very new uh idea i mean every culture that you look at even you only go back a couple of generations there was help wasn't an option it just was there it turned up you were, it was you know this whole idea that it takes uh, a village to raise a mother uh, and the focus really being on the mother not on the child and so we've the cultural focus is much more on the baby and the child now and, and nothing really on the mother um and so the mother's kind of have to, having to stumble through this transition. And uh, if she has struggle, negative emotions, fatigue, and doesn't have a concept of where to go with that, and people around her aren't talking about that, that can be a very uh, lonely place. And the number one thing that mothers report, you know, it doesn't matter what country you look at, and, but the number one th thing that they report in terms of what they're finding difficult is a sense of isolation yeah and for me that is criminal almost if you if you think that the most important job there can be you can't convince me otherwise is to make birth feed and uh, in that first time with the child especially that first 12 months you know being the emotional teacher and the teacher of connection and healthy attachment you know, mm. that will then set up the child for the rest of their life. Mm. Um, now, that's the most important job out there. And if, if the person who is doing that job, the number one thing they're reporting is uh, feeling isolated. And, and that's not, and they may actually have a fair amount of support around them, but that feeling that they're isolated is what they're actually talking about. Um, that, that's really tragic. And, and it actually uh, makes her job and her role so much more difficult if you understand about the priming of a mother's brain that's occurred during pregnancy. Mm. And I, I think it's really easy to slip into that because of all of those really unrealistic expectations society sets on us to begin with. It's so easy to think you need to get back to work think you need to get your body back immediately after it's taken 10 months to grow this yeah. being you're supposed to fit into your genes the next month you're supposed to have intimacy and sexual desires again you're supposed to want to be social again all of these things as well as just cooking dinner or but basic hygiene doing a poo like I know that sounds very simple but sometimes in those early days there are no minutes to achieve those things let alone all that stuff on the periphery 
It's an exact recipe for isolation, right? It's an exact recipe for depression and feeling like you're doomed. Because where do you win in that? Because you're not supported or celebrated for connecting with your baby. No. No one cares about that. You've got a good bond with your baby. It's, it, it, it feels quite sad. Well, it feels very backwards for me. Um, and, and, and I think uh, this great question that you sort of pose, you know, we need to really reframe what it is to become a mother. And, and you and I really like this term matrescence, which is this idea of becoming a mother. Um, and like adolescence, it's a process. Like adolescence, there's a whole lot of brain growth and brain changes and body changes that kind of occur with both adolescence and matrescence. It can take a couple of years for a mother to get used to her new matrescent brain. It's like it takes an adolescent a little while mm. to get used to their brain. And we don't give an adolescent a hard time going, oh, my God, you're a useless <laughs> adult. No, what, are you, what are you doing? You know, if we see them struggling, we kind of get the idea at least that they perhaps need support and mm. eventually they'll come good. Now, the other part to that is adolescence is a transformation from child to adult. Matrescence is a transformation from maiden to mother. Now, if you saw an adult trying to go back to being their child self, that would seem strange. And you'd kind of try to pull them out of it going, look, you're being really childish. So an adult needs to nurture their inner child, but they wouldn't seriously go back to trying to be a child. Mm. Now, a mother needs to nurture her inner maiden, but she shouldn't seriously try to go back to being her maiden self. But there is so much of a gravitational pull for a mother to do that. And you mentioned about the gene, so that's kind of the, the physical aspect of going back to the maiden uh, self. And the body will never return back to that sort of baseline. I mean, it's had such massive upgrades that it it's not even a real, realistic thought. Upgrade is such a beautiful <laughs> term. Thank you for using that as well as a new reframe. Well, I mean, if you knew the research that I've looked at in terms of what happens to mothers during pregnancy in that postnatal time, you'd realise this is a massive upgrade. It doesn't feel like an upgrade when you're fatigued, not supported and struggling. Um, but you know, the research is really clear that mothers are much more capable in so many domains as a mother than they were as their previous maiden selves. Could you, um, share with us a couple of those just to inspire the mothers that don't feel very upgraded? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, so there are upgrades that occur during pregnancy and then there are upgrades that occur afterwards. And so we'll talk, talk about the upgrades that occur during pregnancy. So the time of, uh, most brain growth, uh, during your whole, um, right from the time you're born to the time you die, the time of highest brain growth is not during adolescence. It's during a pregnancy. Wow. Um, and there's a lot of brain growth during adolescence, but there is even more during pregnancy. And the part of the brain that gets the biggest upgrade uh, is related to the, what they call the maternal center. And then the maternal center triggers off um, upgrades in the smell and taste center of the brain. So we all know about mothers <laughs> getting morning sickness. Mm -hmm. um, we all know about mothers you know, getting this uh, bionic nose, uh, being very sensitive to smells, taste, taste aversions, cravings, you know, it's all related to that aspect. Um, now parts of the brain related to uh, facial recognition, uh, social reasoning, emotional quotient, so the EQ goes up quite significantly, IQ goes up slightly, um, visual acuity, so the ability of the brain to actually perceive things visually gets slightly improved. Um, there are parts of the brain that get upgraded that aren't even too neuroscientists aren't even too sure what they're related to, but I'm, I'm sure they have a purpose. Um, and then postnatally, when a mother is calm and supported, um, her ability to be able to, um, they call it working cognition, so this idea of being able to concentrate on what is actually important. So there might be five things going on, but you know, if you, the ability to, be able to concentrate on the most important thing, that 
actually gets improved. There's an interesting part of the brain that gets upgraded. So, they, and they call them uh, aggressive maternal behaviors, and, that, and there's another aspect to them called nurturing maternal behaviors. And both of them get through your ability to be able to care and um, nursing your child, cleaning your child, you know, all the care part of the brain gets upgraded. And then also the aggression part of the brain gets upgraded, especially in breastfeeding mothers. That breastfeeding mothers, if their child's under any risk or threat, will actually show more aggressive behaviours, even compared to another child who may be um, uh, needing some issues or support or or something. And so all of these things make evolutionary sense. And there there are many other things that get improved, and I'm really enjoying um, the research on this topic. And I think a lot of these things mothers intuitively know. Um, But then... If a mother is fatigued and overwhelmed, if a mother is really suffering from uh, lack of support and too much judgment by herself and too much judgment by others, that actually causes impairments in the way her brain works. The analogy that I use with a lot of my clients is like, great, imagine the brain's like a computer. Now, during pregnancy, the placenta's gone in and installed a whole lot of new hardware a whole lot of new software, um, and when you're struggling as a mother, it's a bit like when you're trying to use this new kind of computer system and you're clicking on on icons and programs and things don't seem to be working very well and you get the spinning circle. Mm. Um, and the spinning circle, it, it's actually a real thing in a mother's brain and they call it neuroinflammation or circuit dysfunction Um, and the type of circuit dysfunction that occurs when a mother's overwhelmed is is unique it's not something that happens in men it's not something that happens in maidens Um, so there's a real unique uh, uh, flavor to the to the cognitive and emotional struggles that mothers have it's a real thing it's not something that's just um being made up or exaggerated Uh, Mm. but if we don't have a conversation around that i think that really adds to that isolation that mothers are feeling because they often feel mothers often describe this heart opening experience around the birth of their child now they can often feel um, a conflict around what they're feeling and what they're thinking and um, a compromise about what they feel they should be doing in terms of just being at one with the baby, but then what their cultural uh, part of their brain is telling them that they need to get back to work and and um, not be fussing so much over the baby, and and so they're they're really conflicted. It, it's you. It, it's just so fascinating to hear it like this, and it's also really comforting, and I think a real gift to give new mothers or expecting mothers, because if I knew this then before my first child, like I would, I wasn't working full time. I was working part time. That's still a lot. But I remember not even like feeling like my brain would stop. And this must be the neuroinflammatory stuff you're talking Mm. about where I couldn't find words. And I was hosting a TV show (laughs) and I couldn't find words, simple words, because it was like an overload. It was like everything was too much and something had to give and snap. Um, And I had it constantly. And then six months postpartum is when I think all of that adrenaline just can't keep pumping and you just crash. Yeah. And that's when I, we started speaking for the first time. But the real issue here is, and I think this is what most women don't understand, is getting yourself out of that slump versus getting in. It takes so much work to get back out. And I think that's what we're trying to do is have this conversation to help save those women having to do all the bloody hard yards while you have a little baby, you know. This is an analogy I often use with mothers, and it's a lot easier to take a car in for a service 
know, when, when there's a light that goes on in the dashboard and, and you go, okay, I just need to get something checked out and then um, pull a car out of the gutter with a tow truck once, you know, the car has left the road. Um, and with a lot of these postnatal struggles, it's almost like there has been a, a car crash type event. You know, these things are 100% avoidable. But if, if mothers aren't supported, if they don't have the knowledge, they don't have the education, they're not kind of really enrolled in the importance of recovery and those around them aren't enrolled either, we don't have a postnatal plan, um, then you know, it's like kind of driving around without Google Maps, you know, you're not too sure where you're going and um, if there's bad weather, you, you, know, you, you know, there might really, really be problems and uh, and I, I really, and, and like you said, it's so much harder to try to restore a mother once she's in that place than support her in that early time. And she totally bypasses that. And, and you know this firsthand because you experience this with your wife. Yeah. So it's not like I'm just talking to a doctor that just um, knows this from his patients. You know this firsthand. Yeah, and, and, and not only through my my partner, but just with a lot of close friends that I had and, and then through a lot of clients. And, um, yeah, and then I was at, at the time in a real place of desperation, just trying to find some solutions and just being shocked at the lack of, I mean, just the total lack of research that there was around mothers. Uh, uh, it's it almost like they didn't exist. It was like, okay, once the baby's born, I mean, I heard a funny analogy um, uh, a brain researcher from France who, who said that pregnancy is like, is like a candy and the mother's the wrapper and the child's the candy. As soon as the child's born, the wrapper gets discarded and everyone's interested in the candy. Yes, it's true. <laughs> um, yeah. It's true. And this is the thing is our society doesn't honour mothers. I mean, it's probably women are even honoured before mothers. And we know this because we see it in movies or TV shows or she's she's a stay-at-home mom, and it's got that weird association to it, right? Like she's lazy or she's – it's bizarre to me because raising my son at home is the hardest thing I've ever done. But <laughs> yeah. that thing that, you know, you'll hear women say, I'm just a mum. Yeah. And we play down this crucial role of motherhood. So can you help me? Because I feel like our first step is reframing, which we've discussed, right? And that's about having this conversation and then spreading this conversation throughout our community, but especially through our circle if we're expecting. How do we do it? Because this is a personal question too. I'm really investing in my postnatal plan. We'll talk about this shortly Sure. But my, how do I get my husband to understand <laughs> when he's also in this society that it's not indulgent, it is necessary? Yeah, well, I mean, that's um, it's a great question. I've had a magic wand. I'd like to address that. And, and unfortunately, the change is going to be slow. The change is going to be intergenerational. And the solution lies in older mothers giving younger mothers deep support and non-judgmental advice you know and that's that's the solution um no you can't reprogram a society overnight uh but i'm always going back to history you know i've got a in my office i've got this huge poster looking at sort of thirty thousand years of uh mother worship essentially this is a reminder going with for most of known history, we've really supported mothers and had mothers at the forefront of our societies. Um, this idea of sort of matricentric societies, um, and it's only up until recently that we've lost thread with that, and now we're in a very non-honouring place where we 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 tend to worship the external goddess not the internal goddess and we've totally lost um thread with the fact that humanity is the most important thing that there is um and being human uh you know it's not 
being, you know, it's not the stock exchange, it's not making money, you know, that's not the the goal of life. But I think we've been kind of tricked into kind of going, well, that's what we're aspiring to. And we just, we'd be human around that somehow. And um, rather than being human, actually being the sole, uh, the, the main uh, thing that we're sort of focused on individually and collectively. Uh, and this whole thing with COVID is very interesting to sort of see the struggle of the me and the we. Uh, and w one thing I love about the upgrades, um, and I talk about this with mothers a lot, is that mothers are the only people that can literally feel in we. Um, now, as a man, I can think in we, but I, no, I can't feel in we in, in the way that mothers can. And this is because of the the upgrades in these uh, oxytocin receptors that are installed into a mother's brain during pregnancy. And these oxytocin receptors literally change her stress response from her previous me, am I safe, to we, a we safe. And that, that ability to be able to feel and we and care more about others than you care about yourself, now that is what we need in every corner of society um, if we really want to move forward collectively in a healthy way, care for the environment, um, rather than everyone for themselves, which is kind of really where we're at as a society at the moment. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Let's discuss then a, a healthy postnatal plan because that would be something potentially you could take to your, your circle, your tribe yeah. that's gonna, yeah. you, that you want to help. I mean, sleep is at the top, right? Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll go through my approach. And yeah. ideally, we're talking about this during pregnancy. So I see a lot of mothers who have had quite difficult experiences postnatally, experienced depression, fatigue, depletion, these kind of things. And so they're coming to see me for... Uh, pregnancy care for subsequent pregnancies and so this has been a very you know, I feel very honored to be in that position um, and it's also been really affirming for my work knowing that mm -hmm. mothers can have almost a healing pregnancy birth experience and moving forward and they realize it wasn't there wasn't anything wrong with them there was just a whole lot wrong with their sort of situation that led them to get depressed or anxious or and so Part of what I really push for during pregnancy is just to optimize a mother in terms of her nutrients, iron, magnesium. And I think it's really important that a mother is doing, it doesn't have to be perfect, but relatively well from a nutrient, vitamin, mineral point of view uh, during pregnancy. Um, and then to really explore her postnatal plan with her partner, with other caregivers. Uh, if she's a single mom, now with with her kind of community or who, who whoever you can get support from, uh, and I think it's really a time to use and abuse your support networks, and then ideally the mother's not the one who's having to enact the the postnatal plan, just like a mother shouldn't really be the one having to enact her birth plan. Um, now, it should already be there and those around her are making sure that it's happening as um, as agreed and, and she can then just be allowed to stay in her role of just looking after the child, which is the main role, especially in that first six weeks. Okay. And so I've got a few sayings. So often what I give mothers is kind of a list of ideas, a little bit of a workbook to sort of go through. Um, and I will often try to get partner there um the husband or uh, i see quite a few same-sex couples as well or or, uh, or for single moms to bring in 
someone from their inner circle just just to get them part of the conversation and to empower them um you know i, I call them the guardians that uh and, and the guardian is the one who's buffering the mother from They're the door bitch well that's your term not mine but yeah <laughs> They're the ones just but making exactly. sure everything's in check, that she's fed, warm, looked after, not hassled. And not hassled. So that's the important one. So um, because the world just wants to see the baby. Oh, and we'll check on mum while we're there. But, you know, and, and, and for the six, first six weeks, that doesn't need to happen. Some of the sayings that we have, you know, one is no visitors, only staff. So don't have visitors coming to your house. Don't. If anyone is coming, they're not visiting, they're actually coming as staff, they're there to do jobs, they're there to drop off food, pick up plates, do some cleaning, and whilst they're there, they can have a look at the baby and the mum. But potentially not even hold the baby. I think that was a really big one is it's not there, the baby's not there to be passed around and then left with you to be super unsettled for the rest of the evening. I think people have no, I think people need to have no expectation to, to even hold the baby. Yeah, yeah, or getting a selfie with the baby or something like that. <laughs> that that's not the uh, objective. <laughs> right. Um, but, but you really need to empower people to um, – and, and I had a really beautiful story that I share. This was going back a few months that uh, a husband and wife are coming in for their six-week postpartum check with me and we were going through things and, and I asked the husband, you know, how did it actually go with those things that we talked about, being the guardian, those kind of things, and he said, oh, to be honest, um, it was a bit tough. You know, I had, I had my – I know, three older brothers that were really hassling me. They wanted to come in and 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 be entertained and wanted and and he's explaining this kind of a bit of a story that almost sounded like he was being kind of picked on. The youngest brother and and um, going, what are you what are you doing? We're up here for a while. We want to go see. No, 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 no. We just we we mum has to recover. Blah blah blah. And as he's telling the story, the the mother's looking over at him with her jaw wide open. Um, she had no idea that any of this happened. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I thought, I thought if I could have taken a photo of that, that would have just been perfect to summarize what I'm talking about. This, that, that really buffering the mother, mm. the, the sort of the motto that we have for the postnatal plan is deep rest for one month, deep support for a hundred days. So the fourth trimester and priority on sleep for one year. So they're, they're the three main guiding principles. Deep rest for one month. Yep, deep support for 100 days. Okay. And then priority on sleep for a year. So they're the kind of principles. So with your deep rest, what does that look like? What do you have access yes, to? Tell what me. can you afford? Um, and so the deep rest is, like you are saying, not having to do anything. Uh, if you don't have to leave the house, don't leave the house. If you don't have to leave the bed, um, a lot of cultures, the mother's not allowed to leave the house. She's not even allowed to shower herself in the first month in, in some Asian cultures. So it's like conf- uh, it's your confinement period. It, by it other is a confinement, cultures. and confinement in this situation is not a negative word. <laughs> in other situations, you know, yes. it might be uh, have a negative connotation, but confinement is actually about recovery space. And it's about the brain being able to recalibrate, hormones come back online, and then this upgraded hardware software that we talked about works beautifully. Um, but it needs uh, that time and that space. You know, deep supports um, maybe uh, less going on there, but there's still a lot going on. So um, you, know, you can leave the bed and shower. Yeah, and you can start doing activity and a little bit of exercise, getting back out. But the support in terms of those around doesn't ease off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you might not be having food rosters anymore, but you'll still be having uh, mother support and people checking in on you and, and 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 people taking the pressure off things so that they may come and take your other kids yes. away for the for a few hours. They might take your car for a service. They might. Uh, help you with doing some gardening or, or actually do the gardening for you or, or you know, often we'll get partners to do a chore list, you know, a job list and just it's not about the partner being really busy doing these jobs even though that they can. You know, the mum's the job is to look after the baby and the partner's job 
or the primary care is to look after her. And then those around can kind of just be supportive as they're sort of instructed, as it were. And then priority on sleep is people are going to be laughing. Mothers, new mothers are going to be laughing at how that is, how that exists. Like you said, you lose 700 hours. So it makes sense to make on average. If that's a, that's a, that's a normal baby. So say that's true. Is that ironic? Like, I don't understand how, how do we do that? Well, yeah. So, so the priority on sleep is to go, look, you're losing sleep. You're getting disrupted sleep. Go to bed as early as you can. I have a lot of mothers who, and you know, this is very common just going back generations, that the children go to sleep and their mother has her time mm. for a few hours. Um, and to be honest, in that first year, the, that mum time is not worth it. If you're struggling, your brain's not working properly, um, it's not worth it. And so we have a, you know, a little bit of a sl- saying at our clinic about let's call 8 o'clock late o'clock. Um, because that's a time you should either be in bed or winding down for bed. And most mothers will look at me kind of horrified, just going, it sounded like you said eight o'clock. Um, and it's like, yes. "Yes." (laughs) (laughs) I want to add something from my experience. Um, sleep is a real vital part of my life. I know everyone needs it, but I really, really, really need it. Yeah. And, um, I don't do well without it and um so it was obviously a shock coming home with a newborn and no one really tells you yes they feed on demand but no one tells you that in between that all of the things that you've got to do like the changing of the nappies and the settling and you really don't get much time in between those breaks to do anything right oh yeah it's not a holiday and I think a lot of people (laughs) kind of um like, oh, mat leave, how fun. But but I wanted to say that it was quite hard for me and my relationship and my connection to my husband for a short time. But after the six o'clock feed, this is when my son was starting to be on a routine, I would go to bed at six. Yeah. And then I would wake at 10 to feed him. And then I would go back to bed until the morning. So I'd have this um, maybe 12 hours block where I was in the mm. bed, but it was broken, obviously. Yeah. And sometimes you just can't wind down after 10, you know, 10 p.m. You're up till midnight thinking or whatever. But I did get into the habit of going to bed at 6 p.m. And I remember looking at my husband and going, are we ever going to see each other again? Um and it's weird because you forget all of that. But in the time, it feels like you're right. It's a priority on, on sleep, but it is it is a sacrifice. Something else has to give, and that is your downtime or it is your time with your husband or whatever it is. Yeah, or, you know, or it can be time on social media, Netflix. It's really interesting hearing what what is it that you're doing that's that important between yeah. 8 and 11.30. And often you know, what I'm hearing it doesn't sound that important to me. <laughs> or it's still uh, going to be there, isn't it, <laughs> in yeah. six months or a year. Yeah, exactly. And this is part of that transition to you know, matrescence motherhood that you're having to redefine who you are, what you're about, your purpose. Mm. Um, you know, the caregiver, husband, uh, others at home need to come along for the ride. And, and not that this is gender specific, but the other caregiver often is much slower at um, because they haven't had the, the pregnancy upgrades in terms mm. of the parental journey. That's uh, frustrating. Well, it is frustrating, <laughs> but at least, again, that needs to be acknowledged. Just going, look. Just, I know. Um, and, and then this whole idea of mature love versus romantic love, and I think this is something that isn't talked about, now, there are jokes about um, a mother's libido disappearing and you know, sex is never going to be the same, those kind of things, but there's not any really constructive talk around this idea of going from a romantic mindset to a much more mature mindset where uh, even as you're getting more time for yourself, you might have to have pr- you know, programmed time for intimacy as opposed to we'll do it when we feel like it, honey, mm. kind of thinking. Mm. Um, because you know that's almost quite a naive idea um, moving into family life and everyone has to be on board with that everyone kind of has to understand and um, rather than many 
fathers and caregivers, uh, other caregivers that I hear, they kind of feel like the fifth wheel or three's a crowd or my, um, my partner's got another lover now and it's the baby. You know, you hear all these kind of funny but yeah. quite negative comments. And, yeah. and that's not really comments from someone who's enrolled in the journey, who's understanding what there is going on and who have, have enough resources to, um, to actually be part of the solution and not part of the problem, um, which often it can work out that the partner ends up adding more stress and distress to the, to the mother because you know, they're being perhaps quite selfish or what about me or I don't understand my role in this and so I'm going to start acting out and it's just um, super challenging. Going back to your um, postnatal plan. Yeah. Is the best way, because obviously everyone has different financial situations, like you said earlier, is the best way to start conversations in the pregnancy and look at what people are comfortable doing and then delegate? Yeah, I, I think so. And, you know, I often tell parents, look, that postnatal time is like, you know, putting concrete down as a foundation for your house you know it actually makes a difference <laughs> moving forward um you know, and you have to do it properly now you're not going to just lay down a concrete slab quickly or you're not going to go oh, okay we don't actually need it we're just going to build the house straight straight on the ground and um and so that postnatal time postnatal planning and the kind of commitment and i think putting resources to it i'd uh, and I often see people buying a nice car or you know, buying really fancy stuff for the kids um, in terms of prams and baby seats. And it's like, you know, just buy good enough. Don't buy the best. And, and then <laughs> really invest in that uh, postnatal recovery. Yeah. And, yeah. You're the second person that has said that is like, don't spend all the money on the shiny things. Spend the money on the help and the support. <sighs> The yeah. delivery of the meals or the and, hard help, yeah, 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 an Ayurvedic massage whenever you want. I mean, you know, once a fortnight or whatever it is that makes the mother feel looked after versus teeny tiny shoes the baby's never going to wear, you know, yeah, or wear once and um, yeah, <laughs> you realize they don't actually need shoes, they um, don't wear shoes, they don't walk, yes. <laughs> um, I think it's just really important. Are there other steps? to that postnatal plan or is that the kind of groundwork that you take people through? Well, that's the groundwork. And, and then it's also, I think the food is a really important one. So there are companies out there that will provide food for a month, for example, or for a week, whatever you want, so they can just deliver it to you. Um, I think, uh, I, I, and so I sometimes see people buying, you know, there might be sort of four or five couples that go on and buy a one month food plan for the new for the new parents. Uh, instead of, you know, for even for a baby blessing or a yeah, baby shower, you exactly. can ask for that versus toys or whatever it is. And every we chipped in for my girlfriend just had her second and we all chipped in for food delivery service for her whole family for the month. So Fantastic. she had her meals and then she had um, another service that was covered that came and brought her snacks and her lunch and her breakfast. So she literally just needed to grab and go. And I think, I think it's, it's interesting because this wasn't even around two years ago. I'm talking about um, in my circles mm. of how we support the mother. Like I even had a doula, but I didn't know much about the real hands on deck stuff that you're going to need. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned doulas. So we're seeing in America this the movement of postnatal doulas has been around for a while. So people that come and just live live in your house for up to six weeks, or come visit three or four times a day. Mm -hmm. uh, we're starting to see that in Australia, and, and these uh, people can often be the guardian. They can be the advisor. They can really help you with everything sort of from breastfeeding tips to settling the baby to kind of trying to working out. You know, sometimes the habitation space about maybe this isn't quite working uh, and also seeing checking with the mother about is she actually struggling you know, because if you know especially as first-time parents you know how is either the mum or anyone else at home know really gonna know if she's struggling or she's doing really well because it's who's asking her really you know it's kind of that um 
the wise elders supporting and yeah. touching base and, and finding out where she really is landing. Well, a new mother is very prone to um, hypervigilance, to fear and to worry. And it's really important that those around her are being stable and sensible and not kind of buying into the fear or enabling it in some ways um, because there's a whole industry out there that's going to really predate on worried mothers. Everything sort of from baby monitors to... Um, Those little socks that they wear to see if their heart stops beating. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, and, and... now, are those things medically proven to reduce SIDS and those kind of things? You know, they're, they're, you know, they're really just feeding into that whole f- fear culture. And it's hard to say that, right? Because the first time you take this tiny thing home, you really have a moment of feeling inadequate to keep it alive, you know? So there yeah. is definite, like, um, there's a natural sense of, oh, my God, can I do this? I need all of the things to help me do this <laughs> first time round. Yeah, but ideally in, in culture and generations gone past, you know, the, the first time that you're looking after a child to that level wouldn't be your own. It would be, you know, you'd be looking after other kids and then by the time you become a parent, you've actually got yeah. a reasonable skill set. So it's not, um, whereas on average, you know, most people... Um, by the time they're actually looking after a child on that level, it's their own child. You know, that's the equivalent of never having driven a car and it's like, here's some keys, straight onto yeah. the highway, see that's how you it. go. That's it, that's <laughs> it, that's it. It's so, it's, and that's the thing is there is so, like you said at the start, there's so much a surrounding how we birth, what style of birth, what kind of birth, but there is really no postpartum conversation happening until you're in dire straits and then everyone calls you. So... I feel really grateful that you're sharing this knowledge with us. Do you feel like there's anything crucial that we need to cover that we haven't? A couple of things, actually. One, I mean, one is around social media. So this is the big experiment. Um, but the research is showing that a mother's brain is very sensitive to the dopamine effects of social media, more so wow. than who made himself. Really early research, but it's like, okay, this is not, you could have perhaps guessed it, but it's definitely more reason why mothers need to be buffered against these kind of things or not not be allowed to just be scrolling uh, through social media. So one of the things that I say to mothers is social media is not your friend. Um, you know, you're going to have to have a relationship with it to some degree, either not using it at all or using it in, you know, compartmentalize its use so just using it for half an hour in the morning half an hour in the afternoon and don't touch it outside of that and also do you mean um so are you talking about just the feeling it gives you making you feel good that dopamine effect no 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 it's depleting dopamine oh it's so, depleting it yeah, sorry yeah, yeah, i thought yeah. it was giving it well no. you will get you will get small surges as you're going through you know and again these companies have, have I've got billions of dollars of research just making sure that we kind of get those little hits. But then after you've had a session... You feel like um, crap. Well, your dopamine system will be less, um, or, no, will be under-firing. And a mother's brain really needs dopamine to feel good and feel happy. And this is a whole thing around when things are going well uh, and a mother's brain's you know, working well and she hears the cry of her baby and she goes and... Uh, comforts the baby and gets it skin to skin and the amount of dopamine that you'll get is um it's incredible so tell me just for the people listening obviously not me that are into their social media or maybe addicted yeah what do they do when they're not on there (laughs) what are they supposed to do like do you suggest reading are you suggesting non-blue light activities? An hour a day is still good. That's enough, I think. But I'm just wondering well, I mean, if but, people... But, but, but I think in terms of that connection and seeing what other people... You know, and again, each mother needs to work it out for themselves. But um, you know, what did mothers do before social media? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sure they. it's not like your life 
um, it becomes less busy because of social media. It's just it's just a distraction, and I just you know, I often see mothers scrolling and they're breastfeeding their child, and yeah, um, you know, whenever there's a moment, they're back on the screen. And, and I don't blame mothers. I mean, I you know I, I realize how addictive these things are, but I think we need to really support mothers in going. Look, this is you know, maybe this is not the time. Um, maybe that you no, know, there should be software that will kind of log mothers off after certain periods of time. I'm just things that will kind of help. Yes. And maybe also do like a really good detox of anyone that's a trigger or any like super amazing, skinny, beautiful, organized mothers that you mean, you mean the fake mums? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, maybe yeah. don't follow them <laughs> and then don't look at them during your postpartum experience would, would be a great start. And then do the limits. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just like friendships. You know, why would you have, you know, the toxic hundreds of bad friends and, and not <laughs> coming it's to true. visit you every day? Um, you know, you wouldn't true. do that to yourself. So, okay, it, and then you said one a, more thing. You said a couple of things. Yeah, so social media is, I think, just worth its own discussion. And and you know, they can look back. I'm sure in 20 years about social media and what we're kind of, you know, just just like we laugh at people being able to take opium and smoke and whatever else we're, we're kind of cringing on and what we did used to do in yesteryear. Yes. Um, they're going to cringe with social media, I'm sure, about, oh, my God, people were just allowed to use that. For seven hours a day? It. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing is about a mother's nervous system. So she's got this upgraded nervous system, your brain and, and what have you, what we've been talking about. And then I really try to promote mothers learning about nervous system practices. So during pregnancy – and afterwards and about how do you um, manage your nervous system and how do you actually recognize when your nervous system is not that good uh, in terms of being wired, in terms of being rattled or overwhelmed, those kind of things. What are the kind of feedback things? And then what are your techniques to try to recalibrate you and get you back on track? And and so I, I spend a lot of time uh, teaching my mothers about nervous system practices mm. Uh, you know, when you've got a six-month-old and it's three o'clock in the morning and you haven't slept in months, that's not the time to start <laughs> to learning. practicing. <laughs> yeah, and it's a skill. You know, we don't learn this at school. We often don't learn it as adults. We sometimes brush across things in terms of meditation and gratitude practices and maybe some breath awareness. They're your keys, right? They're your keys to the practice. Well, they're just some examples. And the main nervous system practice that we do is called sleep. Yes. And and if, that, if that's getting derailed, you kind of need to start stacking a whole lot of other things in there. And yes. so I'll, I'll talk to mum, mums about micro-sleeps um, or micro-naps. Yeah, I love this about you because this is one of the first things we discussed about how you just um, – I might be remembering wrong, but you would, like, go under your desk at work and just have a micro-sleep. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I'm that girl that needs her eye mask, earplug, my proper two pillows, I need – dark room Mm. i've got all of these needs to be able to get myself there how do you practice a micro sleep well um for me i'm 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 practiced at it so it's not particularly hard but for a mother who's got a very busy brain yes um i would do a guided meditation okay great so again monkey brain and if the monkey's kind of jumping around all over the place, thinking about what, what all the things we need to do, all the things that we could have done better, you just give the monkey a job to do. And that's just kind of follow the voice. And the voice will kind of, if you do a guided meditation or a yoga nidra or some sort yes. of relaxation, you know, at least you're following the voice and you can, and a micro nap is not actually going to sleep. It's touching the place of sleep. So you, it's almost, you might, might almost get a bit of a shudder as you kind of, oh my, oh my I almost went to sleep there. Um, 15 to 20 minutes is the maximum you can do for a micro nap. And you might get a good three to four hours Rest. after a micro nap. Yes. Yeah. And, and it won't hijack your ability to be able to go to sleep in the evening either. And if you have a massive two-hour sleep in the middle of the day, yes, you know, that, can, that can just really confuse the brain about what's the happening. nighttime, daytime. Yeah, yeah. Because that's um, – the yoga nidra is a really interesting one as well. I think that's a really great resource for everyone to write down. Um, as yeah. a place to start. Yeah, and it's just a body awareness scan. So a voice is kind of taking you through, just making you aware of different parts of your body and just bringing kind of relaxation, awareness, and then moving to a different part of your body and then just kind of really just giving you the permission to relax. I mean, that's what it's really sort of doing. 
but I really encourage mothers just to explore what a nervous system practice is like for them. What have they done in the past? What could they be doing? It doesn't have to be elaborate. Um, you know, I really like this idea of an invitation to relaxation. So these are kind of like a cue to, and the things that you need for any relaxation practice is a sense of stillness and breath awareness. The other two things that you really um, and you know you can do a walking meditation. You can be quite creative. Yes. These. Um, uh, invitation to relaxation that might be just like I'm sitting on the toilet five breaths in and out I'm sitting at the traffic lights I'm in a no, I'm literally in the queue in the supermarket five breaths in and out and that's an invitation to relaxation and that's like putting a coin into a piggy bank um, one coin doesn't do anything but if you're regularly doing this you know several times a day those coins are going to add up uh, over the weeks in terms of how your nervous system is doing and then that kind of is another example of your postpartum plan to your partner, right? Or those around you that mm. I need to do a little bit of practice today. Um, it's only going to take me five minutes or I'm going to go for a walk for 20 minutes, whatever it is, or I'm going to have a micro nap for 20 minutes. Can yeah. you hold the fort? It's that other, it's the other placing of those needs. Yeah, exactly. And prioritizing. It's not even a matter of asking, is it okay? It's like, I'm doing my micro nap now. <laughs> or, yes. um, I'm, no, I'm doing my yoga nidra now. I'm locking the door. Yes. No. <laughs> I did say to my husband, I'm getting a lock for the door because my two-year-old just storms in now. And yeah. he was like, what is better, him banging on the door or busting in? And I was like, oh, that's a really good point. Um, well, you have to be on him. <laughs> you have to be watching him for that 20 yeah. minutes. Yeah, um, yeah Exactly. I'm asking everyone this, and it's going to be a really hard question for you, but I think I'm going to know the answer anyway. If you were a postpartum mother in her first six weeks, yeah, what is your one non-negotiable? Um, so I'm a postpartum mother, first six weeks, not negotiable. Um, to try to make the home a sanctuary. Mm. Um because without that sanctuary and without that kind of permission to kind of almost have a draw bridge and an imaginary moat around the house, it's very hard to do a lot of this other stuff that we're kind of saying. And with that sanctuary, then you can, you know, the baby bubble, guardian, a lot of these things can come in. But if you are if you don't have the idea of your home as a sanctuary, uh, even just for that six weeks, it can be very hard to implement a lot of this other stuff. So I think that would be my non-negotiable. Thank you. Do you feel like we've done a good start? We've covered quite a lot here. Yeah, no, I think we've, we've covered all the important points. I mean, we could talk about this for hours. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> and, but but the idea is I think just part of it is just acknowledging the journey, mm-hmm. setting mothers up for success, not setting mothers up for failure. Um, I think I think that's a huge part of my work. You mentioned obviously everyone can purchase your book. People in the meantime can just, if they need, book in an appointment. Uh, book an appointment or talk to a postnatal doula. I mean, they're, they're the ones that um, I've learned a lot from. Oh, just cool. talking to them. Okay. Um, They'll help you with a plan. Yeah. And, and the, you know, the idea of a doula is that you get them during the pregnancy. They may be part of your birth team or not. And then you've got them as sort of postnatal. So they actually, they actually know you. Now, it might be a little bit hard meeting your postnatal doula for the first time you know, as soon as you come out of hospital, for example. I don't think that's yes. ideal. Um, but to engage them kind of early, have them part of your team. Um, and, and, and something I've been saying more recently to mothers, if, you, if your postnatal plan isn't bordering on excessive, uh, then you need more. And, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I love that so much because mine is so excessive and it looks very <laughs> indulgent. But it yeah, well, really yeah. isn't. But part of that cultural reframing is like, if it isn't feeling excessive and indulgent, like, well, you don't have enough. <laughs> I love on. that. We all need you. We need you to be just like a little, um, little Oscar in our pockets, you know, to just talk to everyone for us, be our own little guardians. But like I was saying, it's, it's people like yourself as well, sort of, you know, the older mother talking to younger mothers with this kind of hard-earned wisdom, essentially. Mm. Um, you know, that that is gold and interestingly most of my referrals that i get are from mothers talking to other mothers it's not um uh, even necessarily you know book promotions and and those kind of things it's 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 and 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 for me i just realized that's the most powerful advice yeah 
That's really beautiful. Thank you for spending time with us. We know you're a very, very busy man. So we needed you and you really came through with the goods. So thank you so much. Uh, thanks. I enjoyed the conversation today and, and the work that you're doing is so important as well. So again, we're, we're crusaders for, <laughs> for mother care and, and that's, that's a good thing. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Deep. If it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests, please hit us up by direct message on Instagram at What's The Deep. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 